Mike, as you come and prepare, I'd like to share a thank you this morning from Rabbi. I, I get a lot of calls, and I don't able to keep all of the messages in that, but I, I'm going to just try that this morning because I think it, it I, I've played it a number of times because it brings a sense of comfort to me too, so I trust that you'll be able to hear this and and get the comfort that I received from it too. leaping and jumping and praising the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Mike, thank you. We have a lot of scripture today. I'm first going to read from, not going to read, but do my commentary on Psalm 126. This psalm was written after God set the Jewish people free from captivity. A result of God's amazing work as freeing his people was laughter and singing as an example for the witnesses including those in other nations. We see in verse 5 that their joy was great and their tears became shouts of joy. That doesn't seem logical, but consider this. On earth, you may share a painful experience you had with others, and it might reduce their pain and burden. Thank the Lord can realize that they are not alone, and you share how you came overcame it. Even though we may not feel like it, Burden is never final, and there is a point where we can remove our burden and thank God for that relief. Something I do when I feel overburdened, besides praying, which I do, is I try to stop looking at things the way I see them and may look at it. It helps me to try and sit in God's seat and look down on me, his beloved child, and see what, see what I'm going through from his view not just my own. It helps me to look at myself in this situation the way God sees me and experience it. That lifts my burden right there because I know that everything I go through here is just temporary. Indeed, I and others will be sitting next to the throne of God and Lord Jesus will welcome us home. To God, you and I are precious, beloved children destined for heaven and permanently away from our pain sour and discomfort. And what I would like to share with you is reference Psalm 30, chapter 5. 
in Matthew 9, Jesus got out of a boat on his hometown, and his popularity had obviously preceded him. A paralytic man was brought to him on a mat, and the people there in his hometown knew that he could heal. He had miraculous power to heal. Jesus looked at the man on the mat and simply said, Your sins are forgiven. Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes, which were Jesus' enemies, were in denial of his deity, indeed by his boldness in proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. Jesus asked the scribes if it was easier to say his sins are forgiven or miraculously heal him. Then he showed them he had the power and the authority to do both. He told the disabled man to pick up his mat and walk home. And so he did. The observing crowd glorified God because of this action, but his enemies grew further in their evil suspicions of him and his popularity. They saw Jesus as usurping their cultural and religious power, and yet they remained silent from this at this point because they feared the crowd. The scribes didn't have a fear for Jesus, oddly enough, or even his miraculous powers. But what they felt threatened by was the crowd that was so pro-Jesus. They adored him. The crowd was supposed to be there, under their spiritual and emotional control, not the Lord's. That's why they felt so threatened. As Jesus left the scene, he passed the tax office, and Matthew was sitting there. Jesus said simply, follow me. And Matthew followed. As they were sitting at the table there, tax collectors and, and sinners came to the house to be forgiven by Jesus. He's never off duty. Keep that in mind. He always knows your pain. He always knows your discomfort. He always knows your doubts. Ascribe that a further reason to hate him because those around him were praising him. Jesus knew this and told him he was there for the spiritual sick and they need a doctor. He politely told them, his enemies, to get lost and go contemplate and figure out what I'm saying. That made me think of wineskins. New wineskins, when you put wine in a new wineskin, it expands. It has the flexibility to adjust for the expansion of the wine inside of it. Old wineskins burst. When the pressure comes up above, comes from the new wine, they burst because they've already expanded. So the scribes had further reason to hate him because of those around him, the crowd. Jesus knew this and told them he came for a spiritual sick that needed a doctor. He told them they get lost. And next, a woman who had been suffering for bleeding for many years merely touched the Lord's garment. Jesus made a verbal note of this and asked, who touched me? She was instantly healed from her bleeding and her discomfort because of her faith in him. 
Another miracle he performed was at a ruler's house. He got to the house, and there was a, a band there playing a funeral dirge. He walked inside. He knew what was going on. And he, he said to the people there, no, she's only asleep. She's not dead. They laughed at him. And they left the house and went outside. They left him in this house alone. He took, the Lord took his hand, told the girl to get up and be well. She did. The news of this miracle spread wide and far, or far and wide, however you want to look at it. He left the house, it goes further. He left the house and two blind men approached him, crying to him for mercy. Jesus asked them, do you have faith I can heal you? They both said yes. He touched their eyes, and their vision was instantly restored. Jesus sent them away with his instructions, I think odd instructions. Don't tell anyone about this, how you were healed. I looked at this and studied this and thought, well, maybe he was avoiding the vanity that would come, come to him by being able to instantly heal people with bad disabilities like blindness. And people would only see him as a healer. That had to be avoided by Jesus. He was a healer, and so incredibly much more. Now I'm going to go to John 4. I especially like this visit between Jesus and the woman at the well. Back then, she was a Samaritan, and a Samaritan and Jew did not talk. They didn't even share words. Because the Jew, a quarrel, a fight between the Jews and the Samaritans started back in 720 before Christ, or B.C., when the Assyrians invited the northern kingdom of Samaria, captured it, and controlled it. They transported almost everyone to, to Medea, as seen in 2 Kings Chapter 17, verse 6. This had been an Assyrian district. They, the transported Jewish people mixed in with people from the northern kingdom. The Jewish people began to intermarry with the incoming foreigners and carried on resentfully and bitterly because of it. No surprise that this Samaritan woman was astonished when, when Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, spoke to her. To add to the cultural disputes, the Samaritan woman were of question. The Samaritan, Samaritan woman was of questionable character. She had husband issues. Jesus, the rabbi, spoke to her directly about her moral failings with her husbands. The second miracle in chapter four is accomplished involving one of the official's sons. The official son was ill, and at the point of death. Jesus saw the official's faith when he came to him and said, Go, your son will live. On the official's way back home, the servants came running to him and meet him and say, Hey, he's better. The official looked at them. He asked them, Oh, what time did he get better? They, they told him. He knew it was because of Jesus' words. I'm going to jump to Romans 10. 
Paul first calls to the uselessness of keeping the law, soul-wise, and stated Christ was the end of the law. In verses 5 through 13, he points directly to Christ as the Savior that brings them to the Father of God through their faith. Do not miss the fact that God is not found through personal righteousness. You can keep the law all you want. You can keep every letter of the law as God said it. You know what? It's not going to get you to heaven. That will only be done by faith. I would like to highlight verse 13. It says simply, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That sums it up entirely. In verses 14 through 16, he says no one can preach without faith in him and concludes that you can have no faith unless you hear the good news of Jesus Christ from someone preaching it. In verse 17, he sums this up by saying faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes by the preaching of Christ via a minister. In verse 18 through 21, Paul points to God's message through the words of Moses and Isaiah. This revelatory message was not listened to by the very people God gave it to. The Jewish and Israel heard the message, but they didn't receive it or believe it. At the beginning of verses, chapter 10, we read that God's desire to save them was dismissed by those who wouldn't have anything to do with it. Or his love. They heard his word from them, and they still would submit to God. May none of us replicate this insubordinate, unthankful action towards God. God ends this chapter with sad words. Everyone should consider these sad words, because they could be said to us. He says, all day long I've held, you, held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. May we never Everyone, may everyone in the sound of my voice ever be like that. Thank you. Would you please stand with me for, and repeat with me as you stand the Lord's Prayer? Thank you, Mike. Shall we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I believe it's probably, um, man, it's going on, what is it, 35 years ago when Hal Lindsey wrote The Late Great Planet Earth? I think it was in the, the 80s. And then he... He wrote the book, um, Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. And then shortly thereafter, there were books that were written by Dr. Timothy O'Hay and another co-authored. Um, and it was a series of books about the, about the second coming of Christ. And what was, it, what was it, the name? Left Behind series, the Left Behind series. And, and I believe Nona has all of those and probably have watched them a few times since the 80s or so. And um, we're trying to just kind of work out in our minds maybe when we can show those here at the church because it's interesting how things are falling into line, you know, what 
you know, Bible scholars and those who have written books like Hell, Flimsy, The Late Great Planet Earth, and Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. And then it's almost like they had the ability to look 25, 30 years into the future and the Left Behind series, how all those things are coming, falling into place. And um, without utilizing any names, um, I believe that um, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on in our country. I mean, and I don't think you can deny that. I think demons are conspiring to take over our nation and divide our nation and destroy our nation. Many people feel there's there's only one option. As I venture into this, I'm sure that um, Hal Lindsey and Kim Lay, when they dealt with what was around the corner and they felt that that was going to be a occurring during their lifetime. Uh, December 21st, you remember December 21st um, was a, the darkest year, the uh, darkest day of the year, and we call it what? The, the winter solstice, the winter solstice, and, and at day's end, in the black of night, a light appeared in the southwest sky. What did some call it, the Bethlehem star? Because it was in, in perfect alignment of planets that only occurs every 800 years. Now, I know I serve an older congregation, but if you didn't get to see that before, you're probably not going to see it again on Earth because it was a perfect alignment of planets that only occurs every how many years? 800 years. It um, penetrated the darkness of 2020, a time which all, which all needed a sign that heaven is hearing our cries. Who doesn't feel the weight of this dark winter? And I don't think I'm the first to use that word, dark winter. Who doesn't feel the weight of this dark winter brought to us by, um, I believe, those princes of darkness, and you can kind of fill in the names and the faces wherever you stand. But we li are living in, in a dark time. And um, I believe there are many forces of spiritual warfare, Bible reminds us of being aware of those spiritual forces, princes of darkness. Um, and these um, oppressors promise us they will not let up with um, the COVID virus and the um, China virus. And it seems like um, there's an easy um, place that's going on. No, they plan to divide us down. A lot of division, a lot of frustration. Now, I believe that this must happen so that they can launch what they call the, um, the Great Reset. And you'll be hearing more of this in the future, probably not from this pulpit, because I, I'm going to go more according to the lectionary in the Sundays to come. I count on you to do your discoveries on the Great Reset, this, this grand plan to um, 
so-called build it back better slogan, as they say. And this, I believe, is, is kind of like the, the revisiting of the Tower of Babel. And you can kind of look that up. And I think we're entering an era where many people are just told to keep quiet, don't say anything. And the liberties that we have in the pulpit probably will be restrained. The um, so-called builders of the Great Reset envision a complete reordering of our society, and especially the economic, the economic system and the um, entire social order. It's affecting every facet of our lives. It's affecting our work, our, our child's education, our entertainment, how we travel from one point to another, even how we are allowed to practice our religious faith. We don't see it so much in liberal, nice Minnesota, but you're seeing it on the West Coast and areas of the Southeast, hoping that movement's not working our way in every facet of your life. Our religious faith, I believe, is going to be threatened more than it has been. You, you'll have to say in this grand redesign of the global order, you'll be hearing more about global than nation. We've always referred to Israel as the nation of Israel or the United States of America as a nation. No, it's, it's not up for a vote any longer, folks. Um, Klaus Schwab, you heard me refer to him last week, and I'm sure if you read and follow the stock market and the WEF, the World Economic Forum, that's the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, the director of the, the WEF World Economic Forum and one of the um, main pushers of this Great Reset, say it with me, Great Reset, has um, publicly stated that, that the China virus, the COVID-19, presents the narrow window of opportunity. I heard him say those words, the narrow opportunity of opportunity. Uh, the narrow window of opportunity that, that cities have been waiting for to launch his plan and uh, help his plan. No one will be able to hide from it. And it's interesting that he said these verses that I had said earlier, no person will be left behind. Hmm. Have you heard that before? No person will be left behind. And he promises, this is a, also a promise by the United Nations. I don't think I need to belabor what the United Nations are, which is cooperating with the WEF, the World Economic Forum. And it's part of the Vatican, the Vatican and in the World Bank System and the International Monetary Fund and, and most of the world's governments to bring it about in laugh laughably the folks of the New York Times label this great reset a conspiracy theory and they must take us for fools now the forces of um, darkness call everything they want to to keep hidden from the masses by labeling it a conspiracy theory they don't even regard 
the Bible as a theory. I think they've gone beyond that for so long. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. We ask ourselves why, because it's just vague enough to be impossible for us to deny. How does one prove he or she is not a conspiracy theorist? Well, it's, it's another clever lie, they may say. If you'd studied history and in Germany, I always liked, you know, German history and how the powers to be could rise up and develop a, a society that was called the Nazis, the National Alliance for Socialist Party. And how could Germany create such a, a leader like Hitler in the causes that were created? How could we make the argument that the oppression we feel right now hits us so strongly because it's hard to um, live in a society which um, so many people are, are accepting so many theories as truth. The left debates the facts, or the left never debates the facts anymore. They just label you a conspiracy theorist. And many believe just what they're told, says um, Dr. Fauci, who continually mocks Americans who um, persist in believing that they have individual rights under the U.S. Constitution. And then we're told that to such fantasies makes you a literal murderer, says the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, who is among many governors having played the pawns by these global crime families. These global resetters have um, a clearly defined goal. It's a, a conspiracy. On, on the one hand, they, they brag about their plans for us without once consulting us, while they, on, on the other hand, they designate those who call them out as deceptive, sugar-coating, about what amounts to be a global, global power grab. We are not conspiracy theorists as much as we are whistleblowers, whistleblowers, blowing the whistle on their conspiracies. Webster's um, New Collegiate Dictionary, I read it just before I came up this morning, traces the word conspire to the Latin term conspire or to breathe more at spirit. So you see there is something spiritually driven on the core of every conspiracy, which Webster defines as, as harmony, as, as a plot, contrive, to join in a secret agreement, to do an unlawful or wrongful act, or to use such means to accomplish an unlawful scheme, to act in harmony. This, um, I believe it's a Luciferian, just as Lucifer fell from heaven, Satan, or whatever term you want to use, this Luciferian conspiracy. To truly understand evil, you must understand the nature of conspiracies because 
Evil people never tell their intended victims the truth about their plots. Even Hitler utilized and used the Lutheran ministers of the area to indoctrinate their congregations. They will leak out partial truths, but they always withhold the big truth, which it, if it be known, would ensure the plot's failure. None, and now if, if God is truth, and if we adhere to the scriptures, if God's truth, and he wants his people to walk in the truth, to walk in the light, then Satan is just the opposite. Satan is, is the one of darkness. Satan wants us, as many people as possible, to be shielded from the truth and to walk in, in falsehood. Satan was the, uh, described from the beginning as the most crafty of the beasts. He used, used clever lies to entice the first humans into doing something that he knew would harm them. And when Satan victims believe the lie, Satan pulled off the world's first successful conspiracy. By their nature, conspiracies are Luciferian, of Lucer, because, because the real agenda lies cloaked in darkness. Every um, communist revolution throughout history has been a conspiracy and, and conspired and therefore Luciferian. They, they use deceptiveness to win their power. Once in power, their lies are exposed, but, but it's far too late. They, they use their money to brutally repress their enemies. Communist, Marxist, socialists typically launch their revolutions in a time of crisis. And the crisis is, is used to distract from the details behind this fake revolutionary promises. And when the Soviets took over Russia, they promised bread and peace during a time when the Russian people were war, war-weary. They were beaten down by the ravages of World War I. Many people who had lost loved ones Many more had lost their means of making a living. They were hungry. They were desperate. And that, I believe, is what's going on right now in the world, the world with this great reset waiting in the wings. They are using this COVID, this China virus, to, to shut down people's businesses and jobs and pushing them into poverty. We have a a Luciferian cabal. If you don't understand the word cabal, look it up in the dictionary too. It's a, a political move of, of socialism and Marxism. We have this cabal that's trying to use this crisis, a virus that's unleashed on the world by their comrades in communist China. We never had any affiliation with China before to bring the world to its knees, and when we are sufficiently beaten down, they will launch a new economic system that enslaves the vast majority of people on the planet. Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran minister and a theologian, preached many of these words similar somewhat, and was a close associate with 
Hitler until he came up against Hitler and Hitler did away with this Lutheran minister and, and anyone that followed his teachings. This empower, em, empower, empowerment is, is, is all already taken shape under the rules whereby Walmart or Amazon or Costco, along with other big box stores, are, are favored far more than our small businesses are forced to close or operate under impossible, impossible conditions. And whether, whether this conspiracy, it's no longer a theory at this point, folks, is successful or, or could very well be determined by whether the United States joins in this global movement. Trump delivered two speeches last year, one before the United Nations, and that was, that was tremendously covered. And the other was before this WEF, the World Economic Forum, in which he said, and he set aside all the ambiguity as to where he stands. He told the globalists to basically go to H-E-L-L, -L, and he didn't spell it out. The future does not belong to globalists. It belongs to patriots. Patriots, he said. His America first philosophy is completely the opposite of the globalist re great reset. Like many figures before of both political parties, they were, they were totally on board with the Great Reset. He speaks the language and he has appointed a cabinet members who are 100% aligned with the goals of the DeVos, the DeVos crowd at the World Economic Forum. Father, this morning, it's hard to become political. There's an epic struggle that we're engaging and it has nothing to do with Trump or Biden, but it has everything to do with two visions for the future that these individuals represent. So if the dueling forces of good and evil are embodied in, in two particular individuals, we, we should know what to expect in the days, the weeks, and the months ahead. Unless one sides, unless one side concedes, we're, we're heading for a class of a worldview rather than a biblical view. Recently, a Catholic individual wrote to the newspapers and the president talking about his activities as an exorcist. Yes, the Catholic Church still believes in exorcism. And the prominent theologian who's the exorcist warn Trump, and he's warning us today. This Reverend Dr. Reppinger says that the conspirators trying to rope the world into this great reset are, are basically in, in league with Satan. They believe the same things that Satan believes. They, they want the same goals. And I think what we're seeing is, he says, there's some stark comparisons between what I see 
and the behavior of some of these people and what I see in a session. Father, we pray that there would be a deliverance, a deliverance in our country. There's this deceptive trick of demonic forces to claim victory over the victory. And they want to destroy our land. They want to destroy our, our country. And according to the book of Revelation that we've been, we've been studying verse by verse for many weeks and many months. The other thing that's very common is claiming that they are victorious or that they are already won what they really haven't or that they actually have rights or that there's certain things that they have that other people can't take away from them. So it's very similar to a, a list of things we're actually seeing going on. Help us, O oh Lord, to be discerners of the times in which we live in. When we see our nation going and falling apart or going downhill, help us to contribute in prayer and, and encouragement for the Christians. When we see things falling apart, and as Revelation says, we see things falling apart, they may be just falling into place, biblically speaking, with every head bowed and every eye closed and Christians in prayer, those by way of television, would you pray this prayer with me? Oh God, our Father, help us to be discerners of the times, to be truly led of your spirit, for we must decrease so that Christ may increase in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me now and would you pray with me the offertory prayer printed in our bulletins? God of redemption and new life, we focus once more on this day on the greatest gift ever given, Jesus our Savior. As it was baptized by John in the Jordan, we are able to share in his baptism and receive the promise of sharing in Jesus' resurrection. As we leave a painful year behind and look with hope to the new year ahead, help us to live and give ourselves as those who know every day what a great gift we have been given. May it move us to give our whole selves more freely. In the name of Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, we pray. Amen. Let us sing the doxology together. Would you come and share some thoughts in your heart? And um, there was a, a administrative council meeting um, that was supposed to be today, but we're going to postpone it and just do it the second Sunday of February, which happens to be Valentine's Day. So that's what you want to do with your Valentine's Day. <laughs> come then. 
Um, I just wanted, I was asked briefly to talk about Lee's funeral, and um, uh, I just want to say that it was a great celebration of life. It was, it was beautiful in, in many ways. The, the scripture was perfectly matched, and the, the singers were good, and um, the messages from Pastor Randy and Pastor Mike were just excellent. Um, and afterwards, Sharon told me that the, the funeral director said to her that he's been to over a thousand uh, funerals that, that he's worked at and attended. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said that the Lee's funeral was probably of the top three that he's ever seen. He thought it was so good. So that was, that was a really neat tribute and glory to God. Um, and one thing, too, that I just wanted to mention, my takeaway, after almost every funeral, a lot of people think this, but I'm going to say it again. Live each day as if it's your last. You just don't know um, when your time has come. And also, be kind in what you say to people because it might be your last words, and that's what they're going to remember. So always talk kindly. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. And I'm going to give your give you back your phone and and I think did um Robin arrive? You you did it for Robin, right? The phone? Did you do that for Robin? Your record? Okay. Um any other announcements? We we've done like three or four all calls, but we gotta get you on all calls. You you get the That's a problem with all call. Do you have a landline? Well, you had a lot on your plate from Tuesday. Yeah, it was just a blur that week, you know, I went to see. Well, you didn't reco recover from the first fall, did you? You hadn't recovered from the first fall, had you? Thank God you're young and in good condition. And you didn't use that as an excuse not to come to church, did you? Between Boone and Mike, would you make sure that she successfully gets to the van? So if everybody understands, she got out of the car, and in her walker, there, one... Angels cushioned your fall. Amen. I took a slip in a fall, too, and I'm going to have Joyce Peters walk me out to the car so I don't fall. <laughs> Should Mike or Boone dismiss us in prayer? Amen. Mike or Boone, you feel led? You want to dismiss us in prayer? Amen. Amen, and Lee would say, go in peace and love. Amen.
Mike, as you come and prepare, I'd like to share a thank you this morning from Rabbi. I, I get a lot of calls, and I don't able to keep all of the messages in that, but I, I'm going to just try that this morning because I think it, it I, I've played it a number of times because it brings a sense of comfort to me too, so I trust that you'll be able to hear this and and get the comfort that I received from it too. today. I'm first going to read from, not going to read, but do my commentary on Psalm 126. This psalm was written after God set the Jewish people free from captivity. A result of God's amazing work is freeing his people was laughter and singing as an example for the witnesses, including those in other nations. We see in verse 5 that their joy was great and their tears became shouts of joy. That doesn't seem logical, but consider this. On earth, you may share a painful experience you had with others, and it might reduce their pain and burden. Thank the Lord can realize that they are not alone, and you share how you came overcame it. Even though we may not feel like it, burden is never final, and there is a point where we can remove our burden and thank God for that relief. Something I do when I feel overburdened, besides praying, which I do, is I try to stop looking at things the way I see them and may look at it. It helps me to try and sit in God's seat and look down on me, his beloved child, and see what, see what I'm going through from his view, not just my own. It helps me to look at myself in this situation the way God sees me and experience it. That lifts my burden right there. Because I know that everything I go through here is just temporary. Indeed, I and others will be sitting next to the throne of God, and Lord Jesus will welcome us home. To God, you and I are precious, beloved children, destined for heaven and permanently away from our pain, sour, and discomfort. And what I would like to share with you is reference Psalm 30, chapter 5. In Matthew 9, 
Jesus got out of a boat on his hometown, and his popularity had obviously preceded him. A paralytic man was brought to him on a mat, and the people there in his hometown knew that he could heal. He had miraculous power to heal. Jesus looked at the man on the mat and simply said, Your sins are forgiven. Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes, which were Jesus' enemies, were in denial of his deity, indeed by his boldness in proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. Jesus asked the scribes if it was easier to say his sins are forgiven or miraculously heal him. Then he showed them he had the power and the authority to do both. He told the disabled man to pick up his mat and walk home. And so he did. The observing crowd glorified God because of this action, but his enemies grew further in their evil suspicions of him and his popularity. They saw Jesus as usurping their cultural and religious power, and yet they remained silent from this at this point because they feared the crowd. The scribes didn't have a fear for Jesus, oddly enough, or even his miraculous powers. But what they felt threatened by was the crowd that was so pro-Jesus. They adored him. The crowd was supposed to be there, under their spiritual and emotional control, not the Lord's. That's why they felt so threatened. As Jesus left the scene, he passed the tax office, and Matthew was sitting there. Jesus said simply, follow me. And Matthew followed. As they were sitting at the table there, tax collectors and, and sinners came to the house to be forgiven by Jesus. He's never off duty. Keep that in mind. He always knows your pain. He always knows your discomfort. He always knows your doubts. Ascribe that a further reason to hate him because those around him were praising him. Jesus knew this and told him he was there for the spiritual sick and they need a doctor. He politely told them, his enemies, to get lost and go contemplate and figure out what I'm saying. That made me think of wineskins. New wineskins, when you put wine in a new wineskin, it expands. It has the flexibility to adjust for the expansion of the wine inside of it. Old wineskins burst. When the pressure comes up above, comes from the new wine, they burst because their valve expanded. So the scribes had further reason to hate him because of those around him the crowd. Jesus knew this and told them he came for a spiritual sick that needed a doctor. He told them they get lost. And next, a woman who had been suffering for bleeding for many years merely touched the Lord's garment. Jesus made a verbal note of this and he touched me. She was instantly healed from her bleeding in her discomfort because of her faith in him. Another miracle he performed was at a ruler's house. 
she got to the house, and there was a, a band there playing a funeral dirge. He walked inside. He knew what was going on. And he, he said to the people there, no, she's only asleep. She's not dead. They laughed at him. And they left the house and went outside. They left him in this house alone. He took, the Lord took his hand, told the girl to get up and be well. She did. The news of this miracle spread wide and far, or far and wide, however you want to look at it. He left the house. It goes further. He left the house and two blind men approached him, crying to him for mercy. Jesus asked them, do you have faith I can heal you? They both said yes. He touched their eyes, and their vision was instantly restored. Jesus sent them away with his instructions, I think odd instructions. Don't tell anyone about this, how you were healed. I looked at this and studied this and thought, well, maybe he was avoiding the vanity that would come, come to him by being able to instantly heal people with bad disabilities like blindness. And people would only see him as a healer. That had to be avoided by Jesus. He was a healer, and so incredibly much more. Now I'm going to go to John 4. I especially like this visit between Jesus and the woman at the well. Back then, she was a Samaritan, and a Samaritan and Jew did not talk. They didn't even share words. Because the Jew, a quarrel, a fight between the Jews and the Samaritans started back in 720 before Christ or B.C. when the Assyrians invited the northern kingdom of Samaria, captured it, and controlled it. They transported almost everyone to, to Medea, as seen in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6. This had been an Assyrian district. They, they transported Jewish people mixed in with people from the northern kingdom. The Jewish people began to intermarry with the incoming foreigners and carried on resentfully and bitterly because of it. No surprise that this Samaritan woman was astonished when, when Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, spoke to her. To add to the cultural disputes, the Samaritan woman were of question the Samaritan, Samaritan woman was of questionable character. She had husband issues. Jesus, the rabbi, spoke to her directly about her moral failings with her husbands. The second miracle in chapter 4 is accomplished involving one of the official's sons. The official's son was ill and at the point of death. Jesus saw the official's faith when he came to him and said, Go, your son will live. On the official's way back home, the servants came running to him and meet him and say, Hey, he's better. The official looked at them. He asked them, Oh, what time did he get better? They, they told him. He knew it was because of Jesus' words. I'm going to jump to Romans 10. Paul first calls to the uselessness of keeping the law soul-wise. 
and stated Christ was the end of the law. In verses 5 through 13, he points directly to Christ as the Savior that brings them to the Father of God through their faith. Do not miss the fact that God is not found through personal righteousness. You can keep the law all you want. You can keep every letter of the law as God said it. You know what? It's not going to get you to heaven. That will only be done by faith. I would like to highlight verse 13. It says simply, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That sums it up entirely. In verses 14 through 16, he says no one can preach without faith in him and concludes that you can have no faith unless you hear the good news of Jesus Christ from someone preaching it. In verse 17, he sums this up by saying faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes by the preaching of Christ via a, a minister. In verse 18 through 21, Paul points to God's message through the words of Moses and Isaiah. This revelatory message was not listened to by the very people God gave it to. The Jewish and Israel heard the message, but they didn't receive it or believe it. At the beginning of verses, chapter 10, we read that God's desire to save them was dismissed by those who wouldn't have anything to do with it or his love. They heard his word from them, and they still would submit to God. May none of us replicate this insubordinate, unthankful action towards God. God ends this chapter with sad words. Everyone should consider these sad words because they could be said to us. He says, all day long I've held, you, held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. May we never, everyone, may everyone in the sound of my voice ever be like that. Would you please stand with me for, and repeat with me as you stand the Lord's Prayer? Thank you, Mike. Shall we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I believe it's probably, um, man, it's going on, was it 35 years ago when Hal Lindsey wrote The Late Great Planet Earth? I think it was in the, the 80s. And then he, he wrote the book, um, Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. And then shortly thereafter, there were books that were written by Dr. Timothy LaHaye and another co-authored. Um, and it was a series of books about the about the second coming of Christ. And what was that? What was that? The name Left Behind series, the Left Behind series. And and I believe Nona has all of those. And probably have watched them a few times since the 80s or so. And um, we're trying to just kind of work out in our minds maybe when we can show those here at the church because it's interesting how things are falling into line you know what you know bible scholars and those who have written books like hell Lindsay, the late great planet earth and satan is alive and well and 
planet Earth, and then it's almost like they had the ability to look 25, 30 years into the future and the Left Behind series, how all those things are coming, falling into place. And um, without utilizing any names, um, I believe that um, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on in our country. I mean, and I don't think you can deny that. I think demons are conspiring to take over our nation and divide our nation and destroy our nation. Many people feel there's, there's only one option. As I venture into this, I'm sure that um, Hal Lindsey and Tim Lay, when they dealt with what was around the corner and they felt that that was going to be occurring during their lifetime. Uh, December 21st, you remember December 21st um, was uh, the darkest year, the uh, darkest day of the year. And we call it what? The, the winter solstice, the winter solstice. And, and at day's end, in the black of night, a light appeared in the southwest sky. What did some call it, the Bethlehem star? Because it was in, in perfect alignment of planets that only occurs every 800 years. Now, I know I serve an older congregation, but if you didn't get to see that before, you're probably not going to see it again on Earth. Because it was a perfect alignment of planets that only occurs every how many years? 800 years. It um, penetrated the darkness of 2020, a time which all, which all needed a sign that heaven is hearing our cries. Who doesn't feel the weight of this dark winter? And I don't think I'm the first to use that word, dark winter. Who doesn't feel the weight of this dark winter brought to us by, um, I believe, those princes of darkness, and you can kind of fill in the names and the faces wherever you stand. But we li are living in, in a dark time. And um, I believe there are many forces of spiritual warfare. The Bible reminds us of being aware of those spiritual forces, princes of darkness. Um, and these um, oppressors promise us they will not let up with um, the COVID virus and the um, China virus. And it seems like um, there's an easy um, place that's going on. No, they plan to divide us down. A lot of division, a lot of frustration. Now, I believe that this must happen so that they can launch what they call the... Um, the Great Reset. And you'll be hearing more of this in the future, probably not from this pulpit, because I, I'm going to go more according to the lectionary in the Sundays to come. I count on you to do your discoveries on the Great Reset, this, this grand plan to um, so-called build it back better slogan, as they say. And this, I believe, is, is kind of like the 
the revisiting of the Tower of Babel. And you can kind of look that up. And I think we're entering an era where many people are just told to keep quiet, don't say anything. And the liberties that we have in the pulpit probably will be restrained. The um, so-called builders of the Great Reset envision a complete reordering of our society, and especially the economic, the economic system and the um, entire social order. It's affecting every facet of our lives. It's affecting our work, our, our child's education, our entertainment, how we travel from one point to another, even how we are allowed to practice our religious faith. We don't see it so much in liberal, nice Minnesota, but you're seeing it on the West Coast and areas of the Southeast, hoping that movement's not working our way in every facet of your life. Our religious faith, I believe, is going to be threatened more than it has been. You, you'll have to say in this grand redesign of the global order, you'll be hearing more about global than nation. We've always referred to Israel as the nation of Israel or the United States of America as a nation. No, it's, it's not up for a vote any longer, folks. Um, Klaus Schwab, you heard me refer to him last week, and I'm sure if you read and follow the stock market and the WEF, the World Economic Forum, that's the World Economic Forum, that Klaus Schwab, the director of the, the WEF World Economic Forum and one of the um, main pushers of this Great Reset, say it with me, Great Reset, has um, publicly stated that, that the China virus, the COVID-19, presents the narrow window of opportunity. I heard him say those words, the narrow opportunity of, the narrow window of opportunity that, that cities have been waiting for to launch his plan and uh, help his plan. No one will be able to hide from it. And it's interesting that he said these verses that I had said earlier, no person will be left behind. Hmm. Have you heard that before? No person will be left behind. And he promises this is a, also a promise by the United Nations. I don't think I need to belabor what the United Nations are, which is cooperating with the WEF, the World Economic Forum. And it's part of the Vatican, the Vatican and in the World Bank system and the International Monetary Fund and, and most of the world's governments to bring it about. And laugh, laughably, the folks of the New York Times label this Great Reset a conspiracy theory, and they must take us for fools. Now, the forces of um, darkness call everything they want to to keep hidden from the masses by labeling it a conspiracy theory. They don't even regard the Bible as a theory. I think they've gone beyond that or so. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. 
We ask ourselves why, because it's just vague enough to be impossible for us to deny. How does one prove he or she is not a conspiracy theorist? Well, it's, it's another clever lie, they may say. If you'd studied history and in Germany, I always liked, you know, German history and how the powers to be could rise up and develop a, a society. It was called the Nazis, the National Alliance for Socialist Party. And how could Germany create such a, a leader like Hitler and the causes that were created? How could we make the argument that the oppression we feel right now hits us so strongly because it's hard to um, live in a society which um, so many people are, are accepting so many theories as truth. The left debates the facts, or the left never debates the facts anymore. It, they just label you a conspiracy theorist, and many believe just what they're told, says um, Dr. Fauci, who continually mocks Americans who um, persist in believing that they have individual rights under the U.S. Constitution. And then we're told that to such fantasies makes you a literal murderer, says the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, who is among many governors having played the pawns by these global crime families. These global resetters have um, a clearly defined goal. It's a, a conspiracy. On, on the one hand, they, they brag about their plans for us without once consulting us, while the, on the other hand, they designate those who call them out as deceptive, sugar-coating, what, what amounts to be a global, global power grab. We are not conspiracy theorists as much as we are whistleblowers, whistleblowers, blowing the whistle on their conspiracies. Webster's um, New Collegiate Dictionary, I read it just before I came up this morning, traces the word conspire to the Latin term conspire or to breathe more at spirit. So you see there is something spiritually driven on the core of every conspiracy, which Webster defines as, as harmony, as, as a plot, contrive, to join in a secret agreement, to do an unlawful or wrongful act, or to use such means to accomplish an unlawful scheme, to act in harmony. This, um, I believe it's a Luciferian, just as Lucifer fell from heaven, Satan, or whatever term you want to use, this Luciferian conspiracy. To truly understand evil, you must understand the nature of conspiracies because evil people never tell their intended victims the truth about their plots. Even Hitler utilized and used the Lutheran ministers 
of the area to indoctrinate their congregations. They will leak out partial truths, but they always withhold the big truth, which it, if it be known, would ensure the plot's failure. None, and now if, if God is truth, and if we adhere to the scriptures, if God's truth, and he wants his people to walk in the truth, to walk in the light, then Satan is just the opposite. Satan is, is the one of darkness. Satan wants us, as many people as possible, to be shielded from the truth and to walk in, in falsehood. Satan was the, uh, described from the beginning as the most crafty of the beasts. He used, used clever lies to entice the first humans into doing something that he knew would harm them. And when Satan victims believe the lie, Satan pulled off the world's first successful conspiracy. By their nature, conspiracies are Luciferian, of Lucer, because, because the real agenda lies cloaked in darkness. Every um, communist revolution throughout history has been a conspiracy and, and conspired and therefore Luciferian. They, they use deceptiveness to win their power. Once in power, their lies are exposed, but, but it's far too late. They, they use their money to brutally repress their enemies. Communists, Marxists, socialists typically launch their revolutions in a time of crisis. And the crisis is, is used to distract from the details behind this fake revolutionary promises. And when the Soviets took over Russia, they promised bread and peace during a time when the Russian people were war, war weary. They were beaten down by the ravages of World War I. Many people who had lost loved ones Many more had lost their means of making a living. They were hungry. They were desperate. And that, I believe, is what's going on right now in the world, the world with this great reset waiting in the wings. They are using this COVID, this China virus, to, to shut down people's businesses and jobs and pushing them into poverty. We have a a Luciferian cabal. If you don't understand the word cabal, look it up in the dictionary too. It's a, a political move of, of socialism and Marxism. We have this cabal that's trying to use this crisis, a virus that's unleashed on the world by their comrades in communist China. We never had any affiliation with China before to bring the world to its knees, and when we are sufficiently beaten down, they will launch a new economic system that enslaves the vast majority of people on the planet. Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran minister and a theologian, preached many of these words similar somewhat, and was a close associate with Hitler until he came up against Hitler, and Hitler did away with this Lutheran minister and 
and anyone that followed his teachings. This empower, empower, empowerment is, is, is all already taken shape under the rules whereby Walmart or Amazon or Costco, along with other big box stores, are, are favored far more than our small businesses are forced to close or operate under impossible, impossible conditions. And whether, whether this conspiracy, it's no longer a theory at this point, folks, is successful or, or could very well be determined by whether the United States joins in this global movement. Trump delivered two speeches last year, one before the United Nations, and that was, that was tremendously covered. And the other was before this WEF, the World Economic Forum, in which he said, and he set aside all the ambiguity as to where he stands. He told the globalists to basically go to H-E-L-L, -L, and he didn't spell it out. The future does not belong to globalists. It belongs to patriots. Patriots, he said. His America first philosophy is completely the opposite of the globalist re great reset. Like many figures before of both political parties, they were, they were totally on board with the Great Reset. He speaks the language and he has appointed a cabinet members who are 100% aligned with the goals of the DeVos, the DeVos crowd at the World Economic Forum. Father, this morning, it's hard to become political. There's an epic struggle that we're engaging and it has nothing to do with Trump or Biden, but it has everything to do with two visions for the future that these individuals represent. So if the dueling forces of good and evil are embodied in, in two particular individuals, we, we should know what to expect in the days, the weeks, and the months ahead. Unless one sides, unless one side concedes, we're, we're heading for a class of a worldview rather than a biblical view. Recently, a Catholic individual wrote to the newspapers and the president talking about his activities as an exorcist. Yes, the Catholic Church still believes in exorcism. And the prominent theologian who's the exorcist warn Trump, and he's warning us today. This Reverend Dr. Reppinger says that the conspirators trying to rope the world into this great reset are, are basically in, in league with Satan. They believe the same things that Satan believes. They, they want the same goals. And I think what we're seeing is, he says, there's some stark comparisons between what I see and the behavior of some of these people and what I see in a session. Father, we pray that there would be a deliverance, a deliverance in our country.
there's this deceptive trick of demonic forces to claim victory over the victory. And they want to destroy our land. They want to destroy our, our country. And according to the book of Revelation that we've been, we've been studying verse by verse for many weeks and many months. The other thing that's very common is claiming that they are victorious or that they are already won what they really haven't or that they actually have rights or that there's certain things that they have that other people can't take away from them. So it's very similar to a, a list of things we're actually seeing going on. Help us, O oh Lord, to be discerners of the times in which we live in. When we see our nation going and falling apart or going downhill, help us to contribute in prayer and, and encouragement for the Christians. When we see things falling apart, and as Revelation says, we see things falling apart, they may be just falling into place, biblically speaking with every head bowed and every eye closed and Christians in prayer, those by way of television, would you pray this prayer with me? Oh God, our Father, help us to be discerners of the times, to be truly led of your spirit, for we must decrease so that Christ may increase in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me now and would you pray with me the offertory prayer printed in our bulletins? God, of redemption and new life, we focus once more on this day on the greatest gift ever given, Jesus our Savior. As it was baptized by John in the Jordan, we are able to share in his baptism and receive the promise of sharing in Jesus' resurrection. As we leave a painful year behind and look with hope to the new year ahead, Help us to live and give ourselves as those who know every day what a great gift we have been given. May it move us to give our whole selves more freely. In the name of Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, we pray. Amen. Let us sing the doxology together. Would you come and share some thoughts in your heart? And um, there was a, a administrative council meeting um, that was supposed to be today, but we're going to postpone it and just do it the second Sunday of February, which happens to be Valentine's Day. So if that's what you want to do with your Valentine's Day, <laughs> come then. Um, I just wanted—I was asked briefly to talk about Lee's funeral, and um, uh, I just want to say that it was. A great celebration of life. It was it was beautiful in, in many ways. The the scripture was 
perfectly matched and the, the singers were good and um, the messages from Pastor Randy and Pastor Mike were just excellent. Um, and afterwards, Sharon told me that the, the funeral director said to her that he's been to over a thousand uh, funerals that, that he's worked at and attended. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said that the Lee's funeral was probably of the top three that he's ever seen. He thought it was so good. So that was, that was a really neat tribute and glory to God. Um, and one thing, too, that I just wanted to mention, my takeaway. After almost every funeral, a lot of people think this, but I'm going to say it again. Live each day as if it's your last. You just don't know um, when your time has come. And also, be kind in what you say to people because it might be your last words, and that's what they're going to remember. So always talk kindly. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. And I'm going to give your give you back your phone. And, and I think, did um, Robin arrive? You, you did it for Robin, right? The phone? Did you do that for Robin? Yeah, record? Okay. Um, any other announcements? We, we've done like three or four all calls, but we got to get you on all calls. You, you get the... That's a problem with all call. Do you have a landline? Well, you had a lot on your plate from Tuesday. Yeah, it was just a blur that week, you know, when I went to see. Well, you didn't recover, recover from the first fall, did you? You hadn't recovered from the first fall, had you? Thank God you're young and in good condition. And you didn't use that as an excuse not to come to church, did you? Between Boone and Mike, would you make sure that she successfully gets to the van? So if everybody understands, she got out of the car, and in her walker, one... Angels cushioned your fall. Amen. I took a slip and a f fall, too, and I'm going to have Joyce Peters walk me out to the car so I don't fall. <laughs> Should Mike or Boone dismiss us in prayer? Amen. Mike or Boone, you feel led? You want to dismiss us in prayer? Amen. Amen. And Lee would say, go in peace and love. Amen.
Mike, as you come and prepare, I'd like to share a thank you this morning from Rabbi. I, I get a lot of calls, and I don't able to keep all of the messages in that, but I, I'm going to just try that this morning because I think it, it I, I've played it a number of times because it brings a sense of comfort to me too, so I trust that you'll be able to hear this and and get the comfort that I receive from it too. jumping and praising the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Mike, thank you. We have a lot of scripture today. I'm first going to read from, not going to read, but do my commentary on Psalm 126. This psalm was written after God set the Jewish people free from captivity. A result of God's amazing work is freeing his people was laughter and singing as an example for the witnesses including those in other nations. We see in verse 5 that their joy was great and their tears became shouts of joy. That doesn't seem logical, but consider this. On earth, you may share a painful experience you had with others, and it might reduce their pain and burden. Thank the Lord can realize that they are not alone, and you share how you came overcame it. Even though we may not feel like it, Burden is never final, and there is a point where we can remove our burden and thank God for that relief. Something I do when I feel overburdened, besides praying, which I do, is I try to stop looking at things the way I see them and may look at it. It helps me to try and sit in God's seat and look down on me, his beloved child, and see what, see what I'm going through from his view not just my own. It helps me to look at myself in this situation the way God sees me and experience it. That lifts my burden right there because I know that everything I go through here is just temporary. Indeed, I and others will be sitting next to the throne of God and Lord Jesus will welcome us home. To God, you and I are precious, beloved children destined for heaven and permanently away from our pain sour and discomfort. And what I would like to share with you is reference Psalm 30, chapter 5. 
in Matthew 9, Jesus got out of a boat on his hometown, and his popularity had obviously preceded him. A paralytic man was brought to him on a mat, and the people there in his hometown knew that he could heal. He had miraculous power to heal. Jesus looked at the man on the mat and simply said, Your sins are forgiven. Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes, which were Jesus' enemies, were in denial of his deity, indeed by his boldness in proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. Jesus asked the scribes if it was easier to say his sins are forgiven or miraculously heal him. Then he showed them he had the power and the authority to do both. He told the disabled man to pick up his mat and walk home. And so he did. The observing crowd glorified God because of this action, but his enemies grew further in their evil suspicions of him and his popularity. They saw Jesus as usurping their cultural and religious power, and yet they remained silent from this at this point because they feared the crowd. The scribes didn't have a fear for Jesus, oddly enough, or even his miraculous powers. But what they felt threatened by was the crowd that was so pro-Jesus. They adored him. The crowd was supposed to be there, under their spiritual and emotional control, not the Lord's. That's why they felt so threatened. As Jesus left the scene, he passed the tax office, and Matthew was sitting there. Jesus said simply, follow me. And Matthew followed. As they were sitting at the table there, tax collectors and, and sinners came to the house to be forgiven by Jesus. He's never off duty. Keep that in mind. He always knows your pain. He always knows your discomfort. He always knows your doubts. Ascribe that further reason to hate him because those around him were praising him. Jesus knew this and told him he was there for the spiritual sick and they need a doctor. He politely told them, his enemies, to get lost and go contemplate and figure out what I'm saying. That made me think of wineskins. New wineskins, when you put wine in a new wineskin, it expands. It has the flexibility to adjust for the expansion of the wine inside of it. Old wineskins burst. When the pressure comes up above, comes from the new wine, they burst because their valve expanded. So the scribes had further reason to hate him because of those around him the crowd. Jesus knew this and told them he came for a spiritual sick that needed a doctor. He told them they get lost. And next, a woman who had been suffering for bleeding for many years merely touched the Lord's garment. Jesus made a verbal note of this and he touched me. She was instantly healed from her bleeding in her discomfort because of her faith in him. 
Another miracle he performed was at a ruler's house. He got to the house, and there was a, a band there playing a funeral dirge. He walked inside. He knew what was going on. And he, he said to the people there, no, she's only asleep. She's not dead. They laughed at him. And they left the house and went outside. They left him in this house alone. He took, the Lord took his hand, told the girl to get up and be well. She did. The news of this miracle spread wide and far, or far and wide, however you want to look at it. He left the house, it goes further. He left the house and two blind men approached him, crying to him for mercy. Jesus asked them, do you have faith I can heal you? They both said yes. He touched their eyes, and their vision was instantly restored. Jesus sent them away with his instructions. I think God instructions. Don't tell anyone about this, how you were healed. I looked at this and studied this and thought, well, maybe he was avoiding the vanity that would come, come to him by being able to instantly heal people with bad disabilities like blindness. And people would only see him as a healer. That had to be avoided by Jesus. He was a healer, and so incredibly much more. Now I'm going to go to John 4. I especially like this visit between Jesus and the woman at the well. Back then, she was a Samaritan, and a Samaritan and Jew did not talk. They didn't even share words. Because the Jew, a quarrel, a fight between the Jews and the Samaritans started back in 720 before Christ or B.C. When the Assyrians invited the northern kingdom of Samaria, captured it, and controlled it. They transported almost everyone to, to Medea, as seen in 2 Kings Chapter 17, verse 6. This had been an Assyrian district. They, the transported Jewish people mixed in with people from the northern kingdom. The Jewish people began to intermarry with the incoming foreigners and carried on resentfully and bitterly because of it. No surprise that this Samaritan woman was astonished when, when Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, spoke to her. To add to the cultural disputes, the Samaritan woman were of question. The Samaritan, Samaritan woman was of questionable character. She had husband issues. Jesus, the rabbi, spoke to her directly about her moral failings with her husbands. The second miracle in chapter four is accomplished involving one of the official's sons. The official's son was ill, and at the point of death. Jesus saw the official's faith when he came to him and said, Go, your son will live. On the official's way back home, the servants came running to him and meet him and say, Hey, he's better. The official looked at them. He asked them, Oh, what time did he get better? They, they told him. He knew it was because of Jesus' words. I'm going to jump to Romans 10. 
Paul first calls to the uselessness of keeping the law, soul-wise, and stated Christ was the end of the law. In verses 5 through 13, he points directly to Christ as the Savior that brings them to the Father of God through their faith. Do not miss the fact that God is not found through personal righteousness. You can keep the law all you want. You can keep every letter of the law as God said it. You know what? It's not going to get you to heaven. That will only be done by faith. I would like to highlight verse 13. It says simply, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That sums it up entirely. In verses 14 through 16, he says no one can preach without faith in him and concludes that you can have no faith unless you hear the good news of Jesus Christ from someone preaching it. In verse 17, he sums this up by saying faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes by the preaching of Christ via a, a minister. In verse 18 through 21, Paul points to God's message through the words of Moses and Isaiah. This revelatory message was not listened to by the very people God gave it to. The Jewish and Israel heard the message, but they didn't receive it or believe it. At the beginning of verses, chapter 10, we read that God's desire to save them was dismissed by those who wouldn't have anything to do with it or his love. They heard his word from them, and they still would submit to God. May none of us replicate this insubordinate, unthankful action towards God. God ends this chapter with sad words. Everyone should consider these sad words because they could be said to us. He says, all day long I've held, you, held out my hand to a dis disobedient and contrary people. May we never, everyone, may everyone in the sound of my voice ever be like that. Thank you. Would you please stand with me for, and repeat with me as you stand the Lord's Prayer? And thank you, Mike. Shall we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I believe it's probably, um, man, it's going on, was it 35 years ago when... Hal Lindsey wrote The Late Great Planet Earth. I think it was in the, the 80s. And then he, he wrote the book um, Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. And then shortly thereafter, there were books that were written by Dr. Timothy Lahey and another co-authored. Um, and it was a series of books about the, about the second coming of Christ. And what was, it, what was it, the name? Left Behind series, the Left Behind series, and and I believe Nona has all of those, and probably have watched them a few times since the 80s or so. And um, we're trying to just kind of work out in our minds maybe when we can show those here at the church, because it's interesting how things are falling into line, you know, what 
you know, Bible scholars and those who have written books like Hell, Lindsay, The Late Great Planet Earth, and Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth, and then it's almost like they had the ability to look 25, 30 years into the future and the Left Behind series, how all those things are coming, falling into place, and um, without utilizing any names, um, I believe that um, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on in our country. I mean, and I don't think you can deny that. I think demons are conspiring to take over our nation and divide our nation and destroy our nation. Many people feel there's, there's only one option. As I venture into this, I'm sure that um, Hal Lindsey and Tim Lay, when they dealt with what was around the corner and they felt that that was going to be occurring during their lifetime. Uh, December 21st, you remember December 21st um, was uh, the darkest year, the uh, darkest day of the year, and we call it what? The, the winter solstice, the winter solstice, and, and at day's end, in the black of night, a light appeared in the southwest sky. What did some call it, the Bethlehem star? Because it was in, in perfect alignment of planets that only occurs every 800 years. Now, I know I serve an older congregation, but if you didn't get to see that before, you're probably not going to see it again on Earth. Because it was a perfect alignment of planets that only occurs every how many years? 800 years. It um, penetrated the darkness of 2020, a time which all, which all needed a sign that heaven is hearing our cries. Who doesn't feel the weight of this dark winter? And I don't think I'm the first to use that word, dark winter. Who doesn't feel the weight of this dark winter brought to us by, um, I believe, those princes of darkness, and you can kind of fill in the names and the faces wherever you stand. But we li are living in, in a dark time. And um, I believe there are many forces of spiritual warfare. Bible reminds us of being aware of those spiritual forces, princes of darkness. Um, and these um, oppressors promise us they will not let up with um, the COVID virus and the um, China virus. And it seems like um, there's an easy um, place that's going on. You know, they plan to divide us down. A lot of division, a lot of frustration. Now, I believe that this must happen so that they can launch what they call the... Um, the Great Reset, and you'll be hearing more of this in the future, probably not from this pulpit because I, I'm going to go more according to the lectionary in the Sundays to come. I count on you to do your discoveries on the Great Reset, this, this grand plan to um, 
so-called build it back better slogan, as they say. And this, I believe, is, is kind of like the, the revisiting of the Tower of Babel. And you can kind of look that up. And I think we're entering an era where many people are just told to keep quiet, don't say anything. And the liberties that we have in the pulpit probably will be restrained. The um, so-called builders of the Great Reset envision a complete reordering of our society, and especially the economic, the economic system and the um, entire social order. It's affecting every facet of our lives. It's affecting our work, our, our child's education, our entertainment, how we travel from one point to another, even how we are allowed to practice our religious faith. We don't see it so much in liberal, nice Minnesota, but you're seeing it on the West Coast and areas of the Southeast, hoping that movement's not working our way in every facet of your life. Our religious faith, I believe, is going to be threatened more than it has been. You, you'll have to say in this grand redesign of the global order, you'll be hearing more about global than nation. We've always referred to Israel as the nation of Israel or the United States of America as a nation. No, it's, it's not up for a vote any longer, folks. Um, Klaus Schwab, you heard me refer to him last week, and I'm sure if you read and follow the stock market and the WEF, the World Economic Forum, that's the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, the director of the, the WEF World Economic Forum and one of the um, main pushers of this Great Reset, say it with me, Great Reset, has um, publicly stated that, that the China virus, the COVID-19, presents the narrow window of opportunity. I heard him say those words, the narrow opportunity of opportunity the narrow window of opportunity that, that cities have been waiting for to launch his plan and uh, help his plan. No one will be able to hide from it. And it's interesting that he said these verses that I had said earlier, no person will be left behind. Hmm. Have you heard that before? No person will be left behind. And he promises, this is a, also a promise by the United Nations. I don't think I need to belabor what the United Nations are, which is cooperating with the WEF, the World Economic Forum. And it's part of the Vatican, the Vatican and in the World Bank system and the International Monetary Fund and, and most of the world's governments to bring it about. And laughter laughably the folks of the New York Times label this great reset a conspiracy theory and they must take us for fools. Now the forces of um, darkness call everything they want to to keep hidden from the masses by labeling it a conspiracy theory. They don't even regard 
the Bible as a theory, I think they've gone beyond that to the soul. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. We ask ourselves why, because it's just vague enough to be impossible for us to deny. How does one prove he or she is not a conspiracy theorist? Well, it's, it's another clever lie, they may say. If you'd studied history and in Germany, I always liked, you know, German history and how the powers to be could rise up and develop a, a society that was called the Nazis, the National Alliance for Socialist Party. And how could Germany create such a, a leader like Hitler? and the causes that were created. How could we make the argument that the oppression we feel right now hits us so strongly because it's hard to um, live in a society which um, so many people are, are accepting so many theories as truth. The left debates the facts are, the left never debates the facts anymore. It, they just label you a conspiracy theorist. And many believe just what they're told, says um, Dr. Fauci, who continually mocks Americans who um, persist in believing that they have individual rights under the U.S. Constitution. And then we're told that to such fantasies makes you a literal murderer, says the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, who is among many governors having played the pawns by these global crime families. These global resetters have um, a clearly defined goal. It's a, a conspiracy. On, on the one hand, they, they brag about their plans for us, without once consulting us, while the un on the other hand, they designate those who call them out as deceptive, sugar-coating of what, what amounts to be a global, global power grab. We are not conspiracy theorists as much as we are whistleblowers, whistleblowers, blowing the whistle on their conspiracies. Webster's um, new collegiate Dictionary. I read it just before I came up this morning, traces the word conspire to the Latin term conspire or to breathe more at spirit. So you see there is something spiritually driven on the core of every conspiracy which Webster defines as, as harmony, as, as a plot, contrive to join in a secret agreement to do an unlawful or wrongful act or to use such means to accomplish an unlawful scheme to act in harmony. This, um, I believe it's a Luciferian, just as Lucifer fell from heaven, Satan, or whatever term you want to use, this Luciferian conspiracy to truly understand evil you must understand the nature of conspiracies because 
Evil people never tell their intended victims the truth about their plots. Even Hitler utilized and used the Lutheran ministers of the area to indoctrinate their congregations. They will leak out partial truths, but they always withhold the big truth, which it, if it be known, would ensure the plot's failure. None, and now if, if God is truth, and if we adhere to the scriptures, if God's truth, and he wants his people to walk in the truth, to walk in the light, then Satan is just the opposite. Satan is, is the one of darkness. Satan wants us, as many people as possible, to be shielded from the truth and to walk in, in falsehood. Satan was the, uh, described from the beginning as the most crafty of the beasts. He used, used clever lies to entice the first humans into doing something that he knew would harm them. And when Satan victims believe the lie, Satan pulled off the world's first successful conspiracy. By their nature, conspiracies are Luciferian, of Lucer, because, because the real agenda lies cloaked in darkness. Every um, communist revolution throughout history has been a conspiracy and, and conspired and therefore Luciferian. They, they use deceptiveness to win their power. Once in power, their lies are exposed, but, but it's far too late. They, they use their money to brutally repress their enemies. Communists, Marxists, socialists typically launch their revolutions in a time of crisis. And the crisis is, is used to distract from the details behind this fake revolutionary promises. And when the Soviets took over Russia, they promised bread and peace during a time when the Russian people were war, war weary. They were beaten down by the ravages of World War I. Many people who had lost loved ones Many more had lost their means of making a living. They were hungry. They were desperate. And that, I believe, is what's going on right now in the world, the world with this great reset waiting in the wings. They are using this COVID, this China virus, to, to shut down people's businesses and jobs and pushing them into poverty. We have a a Luciferian cabal. If you don't understand the word cabal, look it up in the dictionary too. It's a, a political move of, of socialism and Marxism. We have this cabal that's trying to use this crisis, a virus that's unleashed on the world by their comrades in communist China. We never had any affiliation with China before to bring the world to its knees, and when we are sufficiently beaten down, they will launch a new economic system that enslaves the vast majority of people on the planet. Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran minister and a theologian, preached many of these words similar somewhat, and was a close associate with 
Hitler until he came up against Hitler and Hitler did away with this Lutheran minister and, and anyone that followed his teachings. This empower, em, empower, empowers is, is, is all already taken shape under the rules whereby Walmart or Amazon or Costco along with other big box stores are, are favored far more than our small businesses are forced to close or operate under impossible, impossible conditions. And whether, whether this conspiracy, it's no longer a theory at this point, folks, is successful or, or could very well be determined by whether the United States joins in this global movement. Trump delivered two speeches last year, one before the United Nations, and that was, that was tremendously covered. And the other was before this WEF, the World Economic Forum, in which he said, and he set aside all the ambiguity as to where he stands. He told the globalists to basically go to H-E-L-L, -L, and he didn't spell it out. The future does not belong to globalists. It belongs to patriots. Patriots, he said. His America first philosophy is completely the opposite of the globalist re great reset. Like many figures before of both political parties, they were, they were totally on board with the Great Reset. He speaks the language and he has appointed a cabinet members who are 100% aligned with the goals of the DeVos, the DeVos crowd at the World Economic Forum. Father, this morning, it's hard to become political. There's an epic struggle that we're engaging and it has nothing to do with Trump or Biden, but it has everything to do with two visions for the future that these individuals represent. So if the dueling forces of good and evil are embodied in, in two particular individuals, we, we should know what to expect in the days, the weeks, and the months ahead. Unless one sides, unless one side concedes, we're, we're heading for a class of a worldview rather than a biblical view. Recently, a Catholic individual wrote to the newspapers and the president talking about his activities as an exorcist. Yes, the Catholic Church still believes in exorcism. And the prominent theologian who's the exorcist warn Trump, and he's warning us today. This Reverend Dr. Reppinger says that the conspirators trying to rope the world into this great reset are, are basically in, in league with Satan. They believe the same things that Satan believes. They, they want the same goals. And I think what we're seeing is, he says, there's some stark comparisons between what I see 
in the behavior of some of these people and what I see in a session. Father, we pray that there would be a deliverance, a deliverance in our country. There's this deceptive trick of demonic forces to claim victory over the victory. And they want to destroy our land. They want to destroy our, our country. And according to the book of Revelation that we've been, we've been studying verse by verse for many weeks and many months. The other thing that's very common is claiming that they are victorious or that they are already won what they really haven't or that they actually have rights or that there's certain things that they have that other people can't take away from them. So it's very similar to a, a list of things we're actually seeing going on. Help us, O oh Lord, to be discerners of the times in which we live in. When we see our nation going and falling apart or going downhill, help us to contribute in prayer and, and encouragement for the Christians. When we see things falling apart, and as Revelation says, we see things falling apart, they may be just falling into place, biblically speaking, with every head bowed and every eye closed and Christians in prayer, those by way of television, would you pray this prayer with me? Oh God, our Father, help us to be discerners of the times, to be truly led of your spirit, for we must decrease so that Christ may increase in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me now and would you pray with me the offertory prayer printed in our bulletins? God of redemption and new life, we focus once more on this day on the greatest gift ever given, Jesus our Savior. As it was baptized by John in the Jordan, we are able to share in his baptism and receive the promise of sharing in Jesus' resurrection. As we leave a painful year behind and look with hope to the new year ahead, Help us to live and give ourselves as those who know every day what a great gift we have been given. May it move us to give our whole selves more freely. In the name of Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, we pray. Amen. Let us sing the doxology together. come and share some thoughts in your heart and um, there was a, a administrative council meeting um, that was supposed to be today but we're gonna postpone it and just do it the second Sunday of February which happens to be Valentine's Day so if that's what you want to do with your Valentine's Day <laughs> come then 
Um, I just wanted, I was asked briefly to talk about Lee's funeral, and um, uh, I just want to say that it was a great celebration of life. It was, it was beautiful in, in many ways. The, the scripture was perfectly matched, and the, the singers were good, and um, the messages from Pastor Randy and Pastor Mike were just excellent. Um, and afterwards, Sharon told me that the, the funeral director said to her that he's been to over a thousand uh, funerals that, that he's worked at and attended. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said that the Lee's funeral was probably of the top three that he's ever seen. He thought it was so good. So that was, that was a really neat tribute and glory to God. Um, and one thing, too, that I just wanted to mention, my takeaway, after almost every funeral, a lot of people think this, but I'm going to say it again. Live each day as if it's your last. You just don't know um, when your time has come. And also, be kind in what you say to people because it might be your last words, and that's what they're going to remember. So always talk kindly. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, and I'm going to give your give you back your phone and and I think I did um Robin right you you did it for Robin right the phone did you do that for Robin your record okay um any other announcements we, we've done like three or four all calls but we got to get you on all calls you you get to That's a problem with all call. Do you have a landline? Well, you had a lot on your plate from Tuesday. And it was just a blur that week, you know, I went to see. Well, you didn't recover, recover from the first fall, did you? You hadn't recovered from the first fall, had you? Thank God you're young and in good condition. And you didn't use that as an excuse not to come to church, did you? Between Boone and Mike, would you make sure that she successfully gets to the van? So if everybody understands, she got out of the car, and in her walker, the one... Angels cushioned your fall. Amen. I took a slip in a fall, too, and I'm going to have Joyce Peters walk me out to the car so I don't fall. <laughs> Should Mike or Boone dismiss us in prayer? Amen. Mike or Boone, you feel led? You want to dismiss us in prayer? Amen. Amen, and Lee would say, go in peace and love. Amen. <laughs>